Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks very much for tuning in. Judge Damon J. Keith, someone I thought of as a role model and mentor, and more importantly as a friend, died Sunday at age 96. He had such an extraordinary life with 50 years on the federal bench that it's hard to even catalog the things he changed, the ideas he put forward. He believed in and fought for civil rights in every context. And his rulings on everything from racial discrimination to government transparency stand as pillars in the halls of our legal system. He believed in fairness and justice. He believed in democracy and opportunity. And he really believed in us, Americans of all color, creed, economic station, and ethnic origin. He knew we could be good and true to one another. He believed that someday we could be even better. For so many of us in Southeast Michigan, though, Judge Keith was also a personal beacon, a guide and shining light who touched us deeply with his never-ending supply of grace and support. He was our personal hero, and the loss stings all the more. Whenever I saw Judge Keith, he wanted to tell me stories about my grandfather, former UAW official William Beckham Sr., and the way the two of them worked together in the 1960s and 70s to build and then gird the opportunities that my generation of black Detroiters would enjoy. It was his way of pointing out connection with me, but also a way of pushing me along, letting me know that there was destiny and kinship behind his affinity for me, and that there was a powerful foundation for the possibilities that defined my life, especially my life here in Detroit. There are so many who would tell the same story about Judge Keith, about how he touched them, about how he motivated them, how about how he connected with them. And we want to spend the day today talking about his life and his legacy with some of the people who were closest to him and his work. We start with Michigan's Secretary of State, Jocelyn Benson, who moved to Detroit 15 years ago to become a clerk for Judge Keith. Jocelyn Benson, welcome to Detroit Today. Good morning. Thanks for having me. Uh, of course, a sad day yesterday, uh, and people are just starting, I think, to mark what Judge Keith's legacy will be. But I, I want to start with your personal relationship with Judge Keith. You moved here 15 years ago to come work for him. Yeah, I, I owe him my career. I would not be here without him. Um, he He's the reason I moved to Michigan and the reason I stayed. He, uh, through his network of clerks, the, this extraordinary family that he created through his 50, over 50 years on the bench, uh, that was how I was able to have an opportunity to teach at Wayne State, which is the job I took right after my clerkship and ultimately became dean there. And uh, But, you know, he uh, seeing Detroit through his eyes uh, has changed how I saw Detroit. Mm. He saw it as a city uh, of history, a city of opportunity, a city of great people. Uh, and uh, and and after seeing it and learning it through his eyes, it was impossible to leave. And uh, he, he tries to make all his clerks stay, so he succeeded with me. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I talked about that role of mentor that he played for so many people here. You posted on Facebook yesterday just some of the ways that uh, that he did that with you. It wasn't just about the clerkship. This was something that stretched over the entire time you knew him? 
Oh, yeah. I mean, he was a surrogate dad to me here in Michigan. He performed the marriage ceremony of my husband and I on Belle Isle a few years after uh, my clerkship. He took us to a a Lions game every year as our perpetual wedding gift, he said. (laughs) And, uh, you know, he was there when I passed the bar, swore me in as an attorney. He swore me in as Michigan Secretary of State. And, uh, you know, I went to every soul food luncheon that he had for the past 15 years, every February, which is a great gathering of luminaries throughout the city uh, to celebrate African-American history through his chambers. And I think more than anything, though, as, as I've reflected on his legacy this past uh, day or so, really his love of people what is what drove him. You know, he, he ex- achieved extraordinary things, made extraordinary decisions, but his stories, his recollections, the lessons he tried to impart to those who knew him were all about his kindness to people, his gratitude to others, his faith, uh, but really recognizing the humanity in each of us. And I think that drew, drove sort of his, his daily interactions as well as his legal opinions. Hmm. Uh, how much did your relationship with Judge Keith have to do with your decision to pursue a career in, in public service? Uh, was that something that you talked about a lot with him? It was it was a critical component of my decision to become dean at, at Wayne Law and to run for office for Secretary of State, in part because he consistently tried to teach all who knew him to really you know, think big uh, about how we could impact the world uh, and to evaluate opportunities based not on titles or positions or opportunities, but more uh, how, what good could we do others and where could we do the greatest good. Uh, and, and so when I was trying to decide whether to accept a position as dean, I sat down with him and he said, think about all the people who you can uh, help through that position. And, you know, we started the Keith Center for Civil Rights at, at Wayne Law to teach the next generation of attorneys how to follow in his footsteps through, you know, uh, his stories and his experiences. So, you know, he, he, he taught us and really pushed us to think consistently about living a life of service and to evaluate everything through, you know, the difference we're making in the lives of others. Mm-hmm. You know, that that penchant for fairness, that insistence on fairness that Judge Keith had, uh, I've always thought really influenced the people uh, who entered public service, who had worked before him or, or were close to him. Uh, talk about in your current work uh, and the work that, that you did uh, even before, how that that insistence on uh, justice and fairness influences the decisions that you make and the things that you decide uh, as Secretary of, Ta- of State, for instance, that, uh, that you're going to do. Yeah, I think sort of two pieces. One, of course, his his famous line, "Democracy dies behind closed doors," was, uh, you know, driving force in my career as a voting rights lawyer, as an election law scholar, recognizing that uh, fairness and justice in every other aspect of our society begins with fair and equal access to the ballot box. So, you know, through that, he you know encouraged me to develop this career around protecting the right to vote, and that, uh, and he. Through that, uh, also, uh, I think, you know, it taught me the importance of willing to even stand alone uh, in, in, if that's what it took to do the right thing, that, that courage really drove a lot of his decisions. He was willing to, you know, take on the, the, the powerful, the most powerful forces in our nation, if that's what it took to do the right thing and, and to enforce the Constitution. Uh, and again, you see that as a driving force throughout his legal opinions. Hmm. We're remembering Judge Damon Keith here on Detroit Today, talking about his life and his legacy, his work, 
the impact that he had on so many people here in Southeast Michigan. My guest right now is Michigan Secretary of State Jocelyn Benson, who moved to Detroit almost 15 years ago to become a clerk for Judge Keith and, of course, has stayed and done a number of things in our community, but was elected to be the Secretary of State here in the state uh, in 2018. Um, If you want to join the conversation, give us a call. Are you thinking about Judge Keith and his legacy today? What parts of his legacy stand out to you? What do you think the impact of his life and his work was on Southeast Michigan, on the entire state, on the entire nation? As always, the number here on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today and we'll work you into the conversation. Um, when we talk about civil rights and, and Judge Keith, Jocelyn, uh, of course there are some some really notable things that he did and said or wrote that stand out. I wonder for you which part of that legacy uh, is is the largest uh, for, for, for you. Well, certainly throughout his, his career, he wrote extraordinary opinions enforcing the constitutional protections of one person, one vote, and uh, and equal protection in, in every realm. And, you know, in, in his most, in 2016, he wrote an opinion uh, about uh, standing up for democracy, taking on his colleagues on the own, on his own you know, bench uh, for not doing enough to protect the right to vote under the, the mandates of the Constitution. But I also remember, you know, the, the, it, that he was never far from the implications of his decisions. And, uh, you know, one day, I, at one time, I was um, organizing some of his files while I was his clerk, and I found a postcard, a telegram, actually, that had been sent to him from Pontiac in response to the, his decision to desegregate the schools and allow the busing of, of kids uh, as part of that case uh, and integration of, of schools throughout southeast Michigan. And it was, a, it was a telegram that said, please send protection. We are afraid mm. uh, of the attacks that are coming and uh, it was such a simple note. It was, you know, just a couple lines, and, uh, and but it just showed the role that he played throughout history to so many to um, not just enforce the law, but after that enforcement came to really protect them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that gets back to this, this idea of him as unafraid, uh, unafraid publicly, I guess, about taking uh, controversial stands, standing in, and even when somebody uh, not only stands up to push back, but maybe threatens violence to push back, you know, Judge Keith, he just didn't back down. He never backs down. Yeah, yeah, and I think that's the reality of of fighting for justice and fairness and equality throughout our history. There was real violence involved and sacrifice and fear. And I think he lived a life that we celebrate and was celebrated throughout his tenure, but it was also marked with, you know, deep instances of courage and isolation as a result. Uh, and uh, yet yet the, the ability to continue to show grace and kindness and respect to everyone throughout that was extraordinary. And that was, you know, again, I think born out of his faith, but truly one of his greatest lessons that, um, you know, through respect uh, and uh, devotion to the law, uh, and the Constitution, you can achieve great things uh, and and be courageous as a result. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. We are remembering Judge Damon Keith here today on Detroit Today. Let's go to Tim in Waterford. Tim, welcome to Hi. Detroit Today. Hey. So 
I grew up in Pontiac. I lived in Indian Village, and we had to walk up. We lived in a mixed neighborhood, black kids, white kids, Mexican kids. We had to walk up to Webster School. We would get bussed over to Bethune School as part of desegregation, and they would bus the kids from that neighborhood over to our neighborhood, which is already a mixed neighborhood. I, to this day, I still don't understand that because our neighborhood was already desegregated. <laughs> Most of Pontiac was desegregated at the time. I mean, you had pockets of each, but still doesn't make sense to me. It seemed like a big waste of money and time for everybody. Hmm. Well, Tim, I respect that opinion, and I, I would uh, pretty forcefully disagree. Jocelyn, can you take us back to this time in, in Southeast Michigan history when Judge Keith decided that busing was the answer to uh, not just uh, the 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 de jure segregation that had been in place for so long, but but de facto segregation. Mm-hmm. It was a, it was a controversial it was a controversial ruling, and I think Tim's call Tim's memory of that really uh, really captures that controversy. Yeah, I think it's it's important for us as Judge Keith lived to remember that um, you know he lived through that forced segregation and and also the de facto segregation that uh, that that plagued our community that. Um, led to still many of the uh, residential uh, uh, challenges and educational challenges we experience today, where, whether it was white flight from the city of Detroit uh, or the disinvestment uh, in, in our cities uh, through you know the past several decades. And, and Judge Keith's attempt to remedy that as it was going, as it was happening, was to really you know ensure that we were not living separate lives but we as communities were coming together learning together living together he also had his Hamtramck case which went on for decades uh, to um, promote and ensure the, the housing integration residential integration so I think he deeply recognized that um, the interconnectivity of all of humanity that we're all in this together uh, that injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere and through that issue decisions uh, that promoted that interaction, that integration uh, in the educational environment, in our residential uh, neighborhoods. Uh, and those were not uh, easy decisions. Uh, they were, of course, some of the most controversial decisions in our uh, recent history uh, around civil rights work uh, in many communities. But it, in, in some ways, was part of the, in many ways, was part of the remedy to get us to closer to where we are still getting to, but 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 closer to today of a more integrated society where we recognize our yeah. common humanity and that we're all in this together. I mean, and I, w- I would say to Tim, uh, gently and respectfully, look at our communities today. Uh, if, if this was a waste of time, if this was pointless uh, because there was already integration uh, in, in Pontiac and throughout the metro area, then why would we have all of the separation that we have now. I mean, in some ways, schools, our schools are more segregated even in some places than they were back in the back in the 70s. But again, Tim, I really do appreciate your listening and I appreciate your calling in to participate in the conversation. Okay, Jocelyn Benson, Secretary of State here in Michigan. Really great to have you here on Detroit Today. Thanks. Mm-hmm. Up next, we're going to continue our conversation about the life, career, and legacy of Judge Damon Keith with Peter Hammer. He's the director of the Wayne State University Center for Civil Rights that's named for Judge Keith. And make sure you tune in tomorrow. We're going to hear about Detroit Public Television's new show that focuses on the health of the Great Lakes. Stay with us on Detroit Today.
You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, I'm really glad you've joined us. We are remembering the life and the legacy and the career of Judge Damon Keith today here on Detroit Today. He died yesterday at age 96, leaving behind 50 years of opinions and rulings and really pivotal decisions as a federal judge. He also leaves behind a legacy of unmatched kindness and support that I think was felt quite personally by a lot of people here in Southeast Michigan, including me. My next guest is someone who also knows a lot about Judge Keith's uh, work and his legacy. Peter Peter Hammer is a professor of law, and he is the director of the Damon J. Keith Center for Civil Rights at Wayne State University Law School. Peter Hammer, welcome to Detroit Today. Thank you, Stephen. Yeah. So uh, let's first talk about your personal reaction to Judge Keith's death. As I said, 96, would that we all would live to that ripe old age, but it's always difficult when someone finally leaves us. No, it is. And and, and celebrating a, an amazing life is, I think, the appropriate frame, but uh, he's been such a fixture. So it's like, it's like waking up and, and the sun is not there, or mm-hmm. the moon is not there, or the star is not there that you've let uh, yourself rely upon and, and, and guide you. And so there really is a sense of the universe not being the same today as it was uh, yesterday, and there's a there's a huge hole in Detroit and in the nation uh, when it comes to the, the just the power that uh, and, and the example that he gave to all of us. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, uh, as director of the Damon J. J. Keith Center for Civil Rights at Wayne Law, talk about how that work, that uh, decision making, that incredible. Uh, courage that he had shapes your work. Yeah, no, it, it it's a real blessing to 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 be in midlife and have a mentor, uh, <laughs> and so many of us don't. So to to be able to uh, to have a, a teacher and mentor like Judge Keith enter your life and you'll uh, uh, let you know when you're doing something wrong. So there is a lot of kindness, but there's also a, a firm hand to to guide you. Yeah. Uh, but it's been the, the one of the greatest blessings of my life, and uh, the center in part is is the Keith Collection of African American Legal History. So there's a significant part of of the work that was he was dedicated to to make sure that African American legal history was was acknowledged and preserved and taught. Uh, and so there's a lot of what we're doing is to make sure that we're carrying on that tradition uh, and that his biography being part of that and him being part of African American legal history. Uh, but it's also important to think about what Judge Keith would do today. So uh, at the Key Center, we view ourselves as training the next generation of civil rights lawyers. Uh, and if we think about what that really means, we start to realize that the civil rights challenges of today are, are interestingly different in important ways than the civil rights challenge uh, that Judge Keith undertook. Uh, and we often say that, the, that structural racism is our generation's civil rights challenge. So uh, if we think of ourselves carrying on the life and legacy of, of Judge Keith, which, which is our primary mission, it really then gets manifested in Detroit and trying to think very hard about the way in which uh, structural racism is limiting the opportunity of people uh, and what we have to do in terms of training the next generation of civil rights lawyers to take on uh, that struggle. So there's yeah. an important way that we are grounded in history and, and we remind ourselves of that, uh, but we're importantly... Uh, focused on what are the most important and immediate civil rights issues of, of our own day. You know, one of the things that I th- always thought was uh, really impressive about Judge Keith was that, of course, he lived through uh, the, the the early 20th century and mid to late 20th century civil rights uh, struggles uh, and, and as a judge was part of 
you know, the the, the official sort of assault on uh, de jure discrimination, right? The dismantling of of centuries of uh, of legal discrimination. Uh, but I, I feel like he lived long enough and stayed active enough to see that even those victories uh, didn't deliver quite the things that we believed they would. And when you talk about structural racism, the legacy of that de jure discrimination, I think it's hard for a lot of people to, to quite get their minds around what that means or what that looks like. Judge Keith wasn't one of those people. He really did connect all of it and understand yeah. that the fight continues. It, it not only continues, but, but there's, there's causation here. Uh, what, what Judge Keith was able to do in the early 1970s and late 1960s was take uh, revolutionary civil rights laws and implement them. Uh, and those laws were 100 years overdue. I mean, so you can imagine you had Reconstruction, then you had re- so-called redemption. So uh, the civil rights history in our country has always been two steps forward and at least a half a step back. Uh, so one of the bigger tragedies, in my opinion, if you look at, at the, the, the judicial life of Judge Keith, uh, is he saw both the rise and fall uh, of what those amazing 1960s civil rights acts were capable of doing. Uh, and he went from writing incredibly impactful, uh, changing majority opinions uh, to writing dissents uh, and, and keeping the fight. I mean, his, his vision was, was constant all along, but the judges around him uh, changed political stripes. Um, and we are today, uh, in many respects, uh, having the same anemic tools uh, to fight these issues of, of both intentional forms of discrimination, let alone trying to address issues of structural racism. Sadly, as his mentor Thurgood Marshall and as Judge Keith was uh, in the very early days of as his civil rights uh, uh, being an attorney here in Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, when, when you think of that, uh, that structural racism, I mean, again, I think that there are a lot of folks who – uh, who have a hard time understanding what that means. Uh, some people don't want to understand what yeah. that means or acknowledge it. But but give us just a few examples of the kinds of things you're talking about, the things that link back to de jure discrimination that we still live with today. Yeah, and and it's so important because it's, it's anchored in history. Right? So if you really want to understand civil rights, uh, or, I mean structural racism, all you have to do is start just reading uh, American history. Uh, but I'll give you a quick definition, and it's a little bit of a mouthful, so I'll warn your listeners. But uh, we talk about civil rights or, or structural racism as the interinstitutional dynamics that produce and reproduce racially disparate outcomes over time. And one of the biggest racially disparate outcomes is to think about average household wealth. Uh, and you come to the realization, which most listeners don't know, and, and ignorance is constructed just as knowledge is constructed. So we have to ask ourselves what we know and what we don't know. But the average white family in America has 10 to 13 times more wealth than the average black family, right? And I always tell people in the audience, that should feel like somebody just hit you in the stomach. So if you didn't do that and it doesn't feel like somebody hit you in the stomach, something's wrong with you this morning. Then you have to say, well, that's a racially disparate outcome. So what was the interinstitutional dynamics? How did the housing sector interact with the, the job sector and act with the education sector to produce that racially disparate outcome and to reproduce it over time? And in America, that story in the last hundred years is all about housing. Uh, you go back to the 1930s where you had intentional 
federal housing policies that said if you were black, you could not get one of these wonderful new products of a 30-year uh, subsidized insured mortgage. Uh, and if you didn't have that house in 1930, you didn't get all of that wealth increase. Uh, so in America, we have this sort of false image of, of, of individual accomplishment. Uh, you didn't have to do anything as an individual if you just bought the house in the right neighborhood and let the structures uh, create the wealth for you and then transfer that over time. So it's that kind of notion of really thinking about how opportunity is requires infrastructures and how those infrastructures have been accessible for some and not others uh, is the definition of, of structural racism. And, and I often tell people why the key center's work is so important. Uh, Detroit really is ground zero of structural racism in this country, and, and the key center is at the center of that fight. We're talking about the life and legacy and career of Judge Damon Keith, who died yesterday at age 96. My guest is Peter Hammer. He is a professor of law and director of the Damon J. Keith Center for Civil Rights at Wayne State University Law School. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, uh, give us a call. 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Tell us if you have memories of Judge Keith, either personal memories or memories of the work that he did uh, on civil rights and other issues and 50 years on the federal bench. Um, you can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and we will try to work you into the conversation. Again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Before we get back to the phones, Peter, I want to talk a little bit about some of the cases that uh, that stand out that... Um, uh, that Judge Keith, uh, where Judge Keith wrote really pivotal opinions. Uh, the first one is the Keith case, uh, in which he stood up to President Nixon. And I think this is important to talk about today for a lot of reasons uh, that we're dealing with now. This idea that the judiciary exists to be a check on the executive. Uh, we, we can look at the newspapers right now and see all of that kind of tension playing out. It was somewhat similar when Judge Keith had to tell President Nixon no. Yeah. So it, it, these issues don't disappear. Uh, and that notion that his opinions today are just as important as they were the, 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 the day that they were rendered is, is another important thing to remember. <laughs> uh, but the key thing, if you say, so what's the most important thing that describes Judge Keith as a judge? Uh, it's judicial courage. Uh, and what he had, whether it was facing down the presidents or whether it was fighting structural racism in his day or standing up for individual rights, uh, he had courage. Uh, and, and so many people and judges for hundreds of years have had power, uh, but very few of those people with power have had courage. Uh, and I would say that even today, right? So where are the judges with courage that are willing to stand by the rule of law, regardless of whether you uh, have an R or a D behind the senator who was important in getting your nomination of, of, of through? Um, and that's what made the difference, that the judge would stand up, the judge would do what is right, that was rare for his day, right? And that is rare for our day. Rare for our day, sadly. Yeah, yeah. Uh, after 9/11, Keith stood up to yet another president, George W. Bush, when his administration wanted to conduct deportation hearings behind closed doors. Another issue that, boy, if you just look at the yeah. newspaper, we're still dealing with these. And, and and the key issue there was that the government was asserting a blanket national security defense, saying that we blanketly have national security and therefore we can do anything we want. And what Judge Keith was not really revolutionary, he was saying, well, national security is important, but prove it, right? On a case-by-case -case basis, demonstrate that there is an actual national security before you're going to be able to uh, exclude the press. Uh, and that wonderful language coming out about democracies dying behind closed doors is just as prescient now as it, as it was then. Uh, but again, those were courage. Uh, and the other through line of opinions, 
those were protecting the constitutional rights, right? So whether it's civil rights or whether it's civil liberties, uh, the judge was a fierce advocate for the rights that we are all granted in, in the Constitution. Yeah. Uh, again, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Let's go to Scott in Novi. Scott, welcome to Detroit today. Hi. Uh, you know, I had the opportunity to, to talk with the judge a few times. Um, I was a member of the Hamtramck City Council. And, of course, um, Judge Keith oversaw the Hamtramck housing discrimination lawsuit, mm. which continues to be the longest-running housing discrimination lawsuit, live one in the country. Um, and I found it to be a very, you know, I've met a lot of people. I've, a lot of people. I've met a lot of good people. I haven't met a lot of great people. And certainly uh, Judge Keith uh, would rank as, as one of the greatest men I've had the honor to meet. Um, I wish I had a chance to know him better. But I remember the last conversation that I had with him 15 years ago. And, and he was very worried that uh, the establishment uh, in, in Washington was busy running the uh, Constitution to a paper shredder. And... Uh, I found that very chilling. Yeah. yeah. One thing I will never forget about him, though, is that wall he had of photos. Yes. The man met everybody. <laughs> and, uh, it was you could spend a day just looking at the photos. <laughs> I have spent that day so, before. I, Scott. I think you'll be missed. That I can't think of a better man to represent who and what Detroit is yeah. for people to think of who they know in Detroit and and think I I knew Judge Keith is a positive for our city. Yeah. So. Scott, I really appreciate the call uh, and the memories. Uh, Peter Hammer, that wall that Scott is talking about when you walked into Judge Keith's yeah. chambers with just adorned with photos of him with all kinds of people across the globe, but also across time. It really was. And what I loved about that wall was that if you got him talking about it, you could be there all day, as Scott yeah. said. No, but, but again, I, I kind of want to be lifting up through lines. Uh, it was relationships, right? One of the most important things about the judge was the ability to forge relationships, maintain relationships, and respect them across a wide spectrum of people. Uh, there's another great story sort of behind that Hamtramck negotiations in, in different difficult parts uh, where he'd have the, the plaintiff's attorneys and then he'd have the civil, uh, the city council and the, and the defense attorneys, um, and the judge would go back and forth serving coffee. Right, so that notion of, of humanity, yes. uh, and and realizing that that was his role at that point, not to dictate, which he could have, right, uh, but to use power on many different levels, including when it was appropriate uh, to go over there and, and make sure he served them coffee right. uh, as they were part of this negotiation process. You know, it's an incredible gesture that that has real meaning and yeah. and in people's lives, and and people respond to that kind of thing, and you could see them respond to Judge Keith over and over and over when he would make those gestures. Yeah. And, and similarly, when you had the Keith case, uh, they had the, the, the awful trials in Chicago coming out. They were incredibly contentious, and the same lawyers and the same kind of factions were in front of him. And he just made it very clear that he was going to treat everybody with respect, but he was going to make sure that they treated the court with respect as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he conducted an entire trial that ended up with the Keith case uh, with an incredibly contentious social issue uh, without that contention need to, needing to be reflected in the courtroom. Mm. Yeah. Uh, again, uh, Scott. Thanks very much for the call and the memories. Let's go to Alberta in Detroit. Alberta, welcome to Detroit. Thank you very much, Stephen, mm-hmm. and to your guests. I wanted to indicate my 
encounters most often with Judge Keith would be at Eastern Market on Saturdays, <laughs> where he would come almost every Saturday, usually in the mid to late afternoon, and he would stroll amongst everyone and talk and speak with the vendors. And I like to think of him as he may have sat with giants, but he walked with the everyday person. <laughs> Judge Keith was just so much to so many. I'll always remember the kindness he exuded, the warmth. He is the best of humanity. And to his family and those who loved him, yes, the sh- the stars did not shine as bright last night, but heaven truly is shining this morning. Wow. Wow, Albert- and I'm just very grateful. Yeah. Very, 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 very grateful. Alberta, that's a wonderful... That's a wonderful set of feelings about uh, Judge Keith and his impact. And, and that again, that personal impact that he could have on people just by showing up at Easter Market. Uh, it, it just made him one of us in a way that a lot of people are not. Yeah, no, and, and his humanity, as I think everybody's observed. But uh, I think it would be remiss if I didn't raise the relationship he had with his wife, mm-hmm. right? Because there yes. are also stories that he would stop by Eastern Market uh, throughout their relationship in order to get her flowers. Yes. <laughs> uh, and so the flowers at Eastern Market are incredibly important. Uh, and uh, the biography we wrote, I often tell people, is a, is a love story because the, the importance of that relationship was so strong. And uh, the kind of thing that gets me kind of, of, of over the grief that I'm having is knowing that their reunion uh, taking place in heaven is, is, is one of the sweetest things that, that is, is important to him yeah. because that relationship was, was so important throughout his life. Uh, we haven't talked much about Crusader for Justice, which was his uh, his his biography. Uh, it's such a wonderful it's such a wonderful tale. It, it it tells these great stories about him. Again, the humanity that he had uh, throughout his life, and it starts, of course, far before he's a federal judge. And you see him maintain that same grace and connection to people as he goes through life and, and, you know, gains power, as you say, but maintains his courage. Yeah. And, and, and family was so important. I mean, if you actually go back and, and hear the judge tell his stories, uh, it was really all about his father uh, and the importance of his father and uh, saying that everything he did was to, to please his father and, and what a, a sterling example his father was in, in his own life. So family becomes critical, parents become critical, uh, but that great humanity uh, is just uh, present, uh, as well as the fact that you think of 96 years, uh, the story of Judge Keith is the story of Detroit. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so going decade by decade, you're also reminded about uh, what a rich history surrounds this amazing city that we live in. Yeah. What's the future for the Keith Center uh, now that he's gone? I mean, obviously, you guys have been hard at work trying to continue his work, but does it does this alter it? Does this amplify it in any way? I, I, I think it just makes us pause and and, and rededicate ourselves. Uh, th- there's no doubt it was just it was a, a huge blessing to be able to get a phone call every once in a while and the judge would be on the line and say, well, what, what are we doing next week? Because <laughs> uh, he, right. he wanted, to, he it, wanted right? to know. And, uh, uh, and, and that made me sort of be conscious. Of, we better have an answer to that question <laughs> when right. it came Good up answer, so we would right? uh, be able to, to give him an answer that, that, that he'd be proud of. Uh, and that's still our aspiration. 
uh, I remind people that we have both the Keith Collection of African American Legal History uh, and the Keith Center for Civil Rights. And I view it as kind of two engines on an airplane. Uh, and so what we're dedicated at the center is to make sure we continue to, to honor the legacy of all of African American legal history uh, at the same time that we're applying the same creativity, courage, and ingenuity that Judge Keith applied to the civil rights issues of his day to the civil rights issues of our day. Uh, and in our opinion, that's the best way that we can try to, to give tribute to, to just a, a, a great jurist. Okay, Peter Hammer, professor of law and director of the Damon J. Keith Center for Civil Rights at Wayne State University Law School. It's really great to have you with us here on Detroit Today. It's my pleasure, Stephen. Up next, we're going to continue this conversation remembering Judge Damon Keith with his nephew, Luther Keith, who is executive director of the group Arise Detroit. Stay with us on Detroit Today. You're listening to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. We are remembering Judge Damon Keith today. He died yesterday at the age of 96, leaving an incredible legacy in his career, in his life, uh, in his work, in his interpersonal relationships with people here in Southeast Michigan. I want to welcome uh, someone really important to Judge Keith to the studio now to continue the conversation. Luther Keith is the executive director of Arise Detroit, a former journalist who left the business to go and make a difference in Detroit neighborhoods all over the city. Luther is also Damon Keith's nephew. Luther, welcome to Detroit Today. Thanks, Steve. Thanks for having me. Thanks for WT uh, for this wonderful tribute to my uncle. Yeah. yeah. Uh, first, of course, my condolences about uh, your uncle's passing yesterday. But talk about what he meant to you as a family member. Well, that's I'm great. Thank you for <laughs> giving me that opportunity, because first and foremost, before he was the great Damon Keith <laughs> of, of these incredible uh, landmark decisions on so many arenas. He was my uncle. Matter of fact, uh, just to give you a brief family history, he was the youngest of six children in the Keith family uh, on Hudson Street in Detroit. My father was Luther C. Keith, who was the oldest. And so my uncle Damon was the youngest. And he always tells me uh, he drove me home from the hospital with my mother after I was born. That's wow. how that's where our relationship started. <laughs> But uh, he was just a great uncle. You got to remember, I got people. He was not Damon Keith, a federal or appeals court judge coming up in the early in the fifties and the sixties. He was a young uh, lawyer in Detroit, black lawyer in Detroit, dealing with all those issues that black professionals had to deal with to break through the system. And so um, I just remember uh, my uncle Damon when he was maybe in his. 30s or something, and I was nine to 10 years old. We were playing baseball in the alley with my friends as we did in Detroit. And he would come back in the alley and play baseball <laughs> in the alleys. I remember he was left handed and he could hit the ball. <laughs> and uh, as he got older, I got a greater sense of that. At one point, he was a Willie Horton's attorney with the Detroit Tigers. And um, I, it, I got the sense that he was a big shot. Well, one of the things that uh, he it was always open to me coming down to the courthouse, even when I was a teenager. And uh, I would go down to the courthouse, and there'd be like 30 or 40 lawyers lined up to talk to him. Now, I'm a 16-year-old, quote-unquote, colored kid <laughs> at the time. I would come in there, walk right in there, talking. He got back to him 
some lawyers were complaining. He said, who is this kid that comes down here and we're waiting for an hour? He said, that kid is my nephew. So that in that conversation. Uh, but so many personal memories uh, of him. Uh, one, of the, one of the ones that stick with me uh, to this day was at about 16 years old, a friend of mine had an opportunity, uh, a young white coach who was working with me, quote-unquote inner-city kids uh, playing ball, had an opportunity for me to go uh, out west to Montana and Wyoming camping, growing up in Detroit, see the big mountains. I said, oh, my God, I'd love to do that. He said, he said all you need is like $75 to do this for like a two-week vacation. Gas was like 35 cents then. <laughs> and I went to my mom, and my father was a postal clerk, and he sent four kids to Catholic schools. We didn't have a lot of extra money. I said, Mommy, my Mom, I got this opportunity to go out west. All we need is $75. She said, we don't have $75 for you to go out and look at mountains. And um, somehow I worked up the courage to go down to the courtroom and talk to my Uncle Damon. I said, Uncle Damon, I got a chance to go out west. Mom and Daddy don't have the money. I just need $75. As soon as I get a job, at that point I had never had a job. As soon as I get $75, I will pay you back. He said, son, sure, take my $75. I went out west. Had a great time. Got back. My Aunt Marie, who was an elevator operator at Old Hudson's, we remember they had the old elevators. Mm-hmm. She got me my first job as a stock boy for the Christmas rush at Hudson's. <laughs> got my first paycheck. Cashed it, went down to the courtroom. Said, Uncle Damon, I got your money. Thank you so much. He said, son, keep your money. <laughs> to this day, I owe him the $75 he would never take back. Yeah. And that's the kind of person he was. He was very... um. He he was humble, but he had a great sense of justice, and he 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 would move to anger in certain situations when he thought justice was not being observed. Yeah, talk some more about that. I mean, you know, as you say, before he was a federal judge, he was your uncle, but he does at some point become not just a federal judge, yeah. but an important federal judge. Yeah. I mean, somebody who's making really important yeah. landmark decisions yeah. about civil rights at a time that you're growing up yeah. in this city right. that's racked by the, the tension over uh, those civil rights well, struggles. He, well, he had an interesting view. If you remember, I uh, think the Edison case, the discrimination case, where he found where they really were making marks by the names of black folks as applicants on the job. I think that his burning sense of justice or anger, because he saw how in, he, he, he had a— he got to actually see how the game is played, how the game is set up. I heard you talking about with Peter Hammer about structural racism and those type of things. He saw how that game is played, and he didn't have any use for it. He wanted America to be the nation it claimed it wanted to be. Not just talk about equal opportunity. Equal opportunity is fine, but no, not if it means, quote, unquote, affirmative action. We don't want that kind of equal Equal opportunity is fine, but not if it makes me feel uncomfortable. Equal opportunity is fine, but not if I have to give up anything for you to be equal. And he just had no use for that, no tolerance for that. And as Peter said, he had great courage. He did not care. He didn't care about polls. He didn't care about editorial opinions. Uh, as you know, he went through the Pontiac session where the buses were bombed. His family was threatened. But he believed in doing the right thing. And what he always said was, it's, the, it's about doing the right thing, mm. not the popular thing, not the thing that's conventional, not the thing that the people on the sidelines are telling you to do. It's the right thing. And sometimes the right thing is unpopular. Dr. King was doing the unpopular thing yes. when he died. So um, for me, as I've gotten over and to appreciate that legacy, um, it hurts to let him go. I got a chance to, you know, we had... Uh, he and his wife had a family farm down in Virginia, Mechanicsville, Virginia. I had never been down, but last year 
we went down for the first time for his birthday, for his 96th birthday celebration, because we didn't know. He, he's really struggled physically in his later years. And I have to give uh, much uh, respect to his daughters, Debbie, uh, Gilda, and Cecile, who took care of him, mm-hmm. and his staff, people who took care of him. But think about this. He did not have to go to work. He stayed at senior status. He was never going to let that go. He and Third Grip Marsh were very good friends. And he said, as long as I'm breathing, I'm going to be here. (laughs) No, he never seemed to want to just stop. No, no. And everyone has. And it's so ironic, Steve. I have a, uh, you heard you talking about uh, uh, Amanda Alexander in the Detroit Justice Center. My daughter, who is a millennial now, is now an attorney with the Detroit Justice Center. Hmm. And I think uh, she was forging a relationship with him. But that sense of advocating for the right thing. I think that's a legacy um, that n- not just she shares, but many young people share. And his and his grand, grand one of his granddaughters is also a lawyer. Uh, so I think that you can look to him as a beacon of this is how we spread. Now, never, there will never be another Damon Keith. Yeah, it's hard to imagine. There will never be a Damon Keith for, for a lot of different reasons. But we all can be an advocate. Um, Dr. King had a saying, uh, everyone can be great because everyone can serve. Mm. And the greatest legacy to him is do what we can do to make this the America that we claim we want it to be. And do it when it's not popular. Do it when you're in a room and your friends are saying, oh, no, we don't want to do it. Well, you want to speak up and say something. And that's hard to do. But if no one does that, we will never be what we claim we want to be. Mm. And uh, when I think of my uncle, I think of of his, his great smile. I think of him just being very humble about not standing on ceremony. You don't have to walk around telling people. A lot of people, Steve, you, you may or may not know this, a lot of people, I never tell anybody I'm related to Damon Keith. Some people are finding out, oh, you're related to Damon Keith? Uh, because Damon Keith is Damon Keith, mm-hmm. and I have too much respect for him. You know, And um, uh, he has run his own race. Now, I don't want people to think this way or that maybe because of that, the thing that I draw from him is that he didn't walk around saying, I'm Damon Keith. Yeah. Give me a special this or a special that. Never. Yeah. Um, but to serve. And I think when you, this outpouring of support, that would have stunned me, Steve, really. This cascade of of love for him and his work and the man, even for folks who didn't know him personally. Because he represented something. There's the same Joe Lewis said, uh, I think I said in, in, the, in another arena, I'm talking about a riot in the past, but I think it's true here. During World War II, and Joe said, um, uh, God is on our side, you know, uh, that people feel like Damon Keith was on their side. Damon Keith was for them. And that's why people have reacted like this, because he was them. He could, he's come from the same cloth. He came up the highway industries. He was a janitor. You know, he had people tell him, uh, and if you've seen the documentary, and he said this many times, he was like, why are, you, why, are you, why are you in law school? You know, a, a black guy can't be a lawyer, you know? And he's come, came through all of that. And um, he's defied, you know, historical precedence in many ways, which is, I think our hope for the future is to tell us that we can do what we can overcome, we can persevere. If you look at Damon's Keith's life, he should not have been Damon Keith. It, it's... It's, you can't explain that. You just can't explain how right. could a guy from how him, hard it would have been yeah, yeah. for him to get to where yeah. he and got. not to become a bitter person. See, that's the other thing. He was not a bitter person. He was a warm, embracing person. But he had a strong sense of when you help people, you say thank you. When you help people, you show a respect and appreciation. Now you that irritated him, mm-hmm. and he had a strong sense of that. But he would go through the wall for people and. 
Uh, he wrote many, many letters of recommendation or called people to get people jobs, open doors. Um, and his thing was, you know, now once that door opens, you better take care of business. Okay. <laughs> don't. I'm not doing that. this for you to just, no, don't, you know, so, and he, but he was willing to do that. Um, my father told me something. He and my father were very, well, my father was 17 years older than my Uncle mm-hmm. Damon. Mm-hmm. Um, and my father said this. I know my Uncle Damon said that anytime a black person is successful, they cannot succeed just for themselves. You have to, you have to reach back and open doors for others. It's not just about you. And my Uncle Damon was like that. If you look at his life and the things he'd done, how he saved the Charles H. Wright Museum, mm. I mean, that was an incredible uh, him stepping up to rally the community for a cause like that. His thing was about making life better for other people. All of his court decisions, all of these landmark decisions, and even in his dissents, it was about what is the best thing for people, mm-hmm. for the lives of people. And that's his legacy. And it's a, it's a legacy that, that will go on forever. You know? And uh, you know, I'm a small part of that. And uh, I'm so glad that the WDT and others have saw, seen fit to recognize uh, his contributions this way. Yeah, yeah. Uh, your work at uh, Arise Detroit, I always feel like is connected to that legacy of service and making sure that Detroit is okay. Uh, that comes from your Uncle Damon. Well, that's a, that's part of it as well, though. For a time, he tried to talk me into going to law school. <laughs> <laughs> right. My brother actually did that. I, I was I was smart enough not to go to law yeah, school. Right. But in the sense that, yes, um, ultimately at the end of the day, you know, all roads meet at the same intersection, a better life for us all, a better life for our community through the court system, through the community organizing system, uh, uh, all that is about making America be what it's want to be. And with the rise of Detroit, what we're simply trying to do is to uh, motivate people, inspire people to get involved and help shape uh, their destiny, be part of the solution. That's what we are we're all about. And I know my uncle, uh, he always said that he appreciated, you know, me as a journalist, where he supported me as a journalist, mm-hmm. where when I started out as a journalist, I, I was really, uh, I didn't know if I could be a journalist. I, I literally, I remember my last year of uh, journalists who waking in cold sweats, will I be good enough to be a journalist? And he always encouraged me and supported me. Um, and uh, that's, whether it be journalism or now with the rise of Detroit, the whole goal is to, how can we make our community better? Uh, how can we put some smiles on people's faces? How can we make, ease their quality of life? Yeah. And so in that respect, we are connected in that way. Okay, Luther Keith, Executive Director of Arise Detroit, the nephew of Judge Damon Keith. Thanks very much for being here with us on Detroit Today. Thank you, Steve. Appreciate it. That's going to do it for me today. I will be back tomorrow, and I hope you will too. This is 1019 WDET, Detroit's public radio station, a community service of Wayne State University. We'll talk again tomorrow. Tomorrow.